Welcome to Feed Your Health, a weekly podcast with your host Morgan Shepherd, where we'll be taking a deep dive into the big dial movers of health, focusing on movement, nutrition, and stress management. You'll get tangible takeaways, tactical knowledge, and exclusive stories to inspire and empower you on your transformational health journey. Let's get thriving. Welcome to the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about eating in moderation, understanding your relationship with food, and what balanced eating can actually look like. And I'm so excited because today I have Sabrina Gilbert on, and she is a Moderation 365 coach, and I'm really excited to have her here. Welcome, Sabrina. So for my listeners, tell them a little bit about your story. It's like, do you want the long version or the short version? (laughs) Because I kind of have two stories. Right. So up to you. (laughs) Originally, when I first started getting healthy in 2010, I was prior to this, I was working out like random home workouts and just doing what I knew to do as an athlete, like growing up in high school, being an athlete and not seeing results that I wanted. So I made like my first investment in an official program designed by a personal trainer. And it's kind of a popular one if your audience knows or remembers the old P90X by Tony Horton. And so that program came with a meal plan. And so I just followed it to the T. I was like, I'm doing this. And if I don't get results, I'm returning it for a refund. And that's it. Because I couldn't afford a personal trainer at the time. I was fresh out of college, broke. You know how it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I got this amazing transformation. And I was super duper excited, but then I didn't know how to maintain my results. So my next solution was like, well, then I'll just do the program again and I'll just do a next program and a next program and a next program. And I, yeah. Yeah. And you know how, like I would do what a lot of us do and maybe your listeners do this, you know how you're like, oh, I'm going to get fit for the summer, but then the summer comes and you kind of slack off. And then you're like, I'm going to get fit for fall. And then the holidays come and you slack off. So then you got to like get fit for the new year. So like I lived that cycle for a long time. And when I say a long time, I mean like years, like in 2016 is when all of a sudden this process stopped working for me. Like all of a sudden I was doing the same like workout programs by the same company and at that time I was also a, a health coach or fitness coach uh, with the company because it's like an MLM. And so I felt like more pressure when you become a fitness pro, you feel this pressure like you're supposed to be fit and shredded, right? <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> so you get like more insecure, at least I did. Maybe other pros don't feel this way, but I was like very body conscious. <laughs> Oh, I do. Yeah. So it's like even more insecure because now you're like, I'm on display and I should be the example. And all of a sudden this stuff stopped working for me. So here I am trying to coach people through the programs and tell them it works, but also not all of a sudden not getting results. And that led me to, I knew I didn't have a workout problem, right? Because the workout part was easy for me. I loved it. You know, it was fun for me. I didn't have that problem. So I knew my nutrition was a problem. So I enrolled in the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. And that's when I really started to learn not just health coaching, but like a more holistic approach and understand the individuality that really plays a role 
and the type of results someone could get. And so in 2016, I decided while I was in health coaching school that I wasn't going to diet anymore because that obviously wasn't working. <laughs> and the scale was like going up and up no matter what I did. Yep. And so I went through this kind of two year period of exploring everything that said it was a lifestyle. Like I tried veganism because everybody was like, oh, that's the lifestyle. It's not a thing you start and end. I tried Whole30. I tried uh vegetarian. I tried a raw food diet. I failed miserably at that. I lasted like seven days. <laughs> oh my God. The chewing. I can't imagine. <laughs> it was the worst. I tried like a T-toxis because I thought, well, maybe I have a GI problem. I literally tried everything before discovering macro counting. And that's when I really started to understand the synergy of nutrient density. But then it was something I didn't want to do long-term. Right. I didn't want to have to count and measure and keep a mental track of all of that. So in part of my continuing education, that's how I found myself in kind of this plated method and that I teach my clients, which doesn't require any counting. It's super simple. And also studying moderation 365 because it takes you out of that mental clockwork that you're always doing if you're trying to eat healthy. And it also takes you out of that yo-yo of like what I was talking about earlier, where I was like, I'll get fit for the summer. And then I couldn't maintain my results and then I would get fit again and I was losing the same 10 pounds over and over again and it was ridiculous it's like that's common but it is not normal to be having to constantly lose and regain the same 10 pounds right yeah and people forget that so that's kind of how I got where I am today and why I teach the way that I teach and coach my clients today because I went through it the hard way <laughs> I love that. I feel like our paths are so very similar. Like I tried Whole30. I, I looked at some of the other things that you tried and like just the whole route of trying to figure out how to do the thing without having to be restrictive or obsessive or like counting. At first I was so opposed to macros because I was like, I don't want to have to count for the rest of my life. This seems yeah like a stupid thing to do. But then, like you did, I got into it and I was like, okay, I understand the concepts. I understand the basics of why we're doing macros and I can use that to improve the nutrient density of what I was eating and make sure I was getting enough protein and then translate that mm -hmm. into how do I do this without numbers? How do I do it without weighing my food? Oh, the weighers. I don't miss that. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? Oh, that was used to be the worst. And teaching people to do that, you know, it's, a, it's such a challenge because the world is like, count macros, do it this way. And it's like, yes, that works to a point. But like, my mama is not going to weigh her food out. She is not going to count macros. She does not want to do that. She wants to be able to go to a restaurant and be like, I'm going to eat these things and still feel good about it. Yeah. And that's the thing that people don't talk about is like the reality of it is when you're new to it, it feels like a full-time job and you can't just eyeball it when you're new to the world of macros. And this is why it's challenging for new people to stick with, or it requires them to rely on these tools like meal planning where they don't have time. If you're a working mom like me, my daughter's too. 
I can't barely get five minutes to go to the bathroom by myself. If moms are in your audience, they know what I'm talking about, <laughs> let alone two hours to cook and prep a bunch of meals that I'm going to be tired of eating by Wednesday and not even eat the rest of the meal prep anyway. Oh my God. I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> it's not realistic. It's so true. And so what I like to do is also try to infuse so much convenience into what I do because, you know, I'm kind of lazy in the kitchen. I'm like, if it takes more than 20 minutes, it's not happening in my world because it's just too much for me. And I used to be someone who, if I wasn't on a diet, maybe that was what helped me gravitate towards macro counting in the beginning anyways, was because I used to be, if I wasn't on a diet, I didn't know how to eat healthy. I equated eating healthy with, oh, that means dieting. And it took a lot of unlearning to start understanding that it doesn't have to mean dieting and you can include, I don't know, like a double cheeseburger if that's what you feel like today. But we can, like you said, up the nutrient density with the knowledge. If you just have a base knowledge, you don't even have to be like a master's in nutrition science. If you have the base knowledge, you can up the nutrient density to keep your blood sugar stable, to keep your body from retaining fat and actually have your fat burning stuff um, behaviors turn on. So it seems complicated, but it's actually incredibly simple. Ah, I love that. So what is the first thing that you do when you start working with a client? We actually start when I'm working with clients with the Moderation 365 process, and that is on purpose. And it's because when we go into, a lot of people know how to lose weight. That's not people's challenge. We know what we should be doing. If we boiled weight loss down to across all the thousands of diets out there, there are two things they all have in common. Drink water, eat more veggies, that's it. So if we only did those two things, we know we would be healthy. So your challenge, or at least my client's challenge, is not how to lose weight. Their challenge and struggle is how to keep it off and how to deal with their leverage metabolism. Because a conversation that doesn't happen enough in our industry is, Dieting off and on, even if it's not a specific diet, if you just do diet behaviors, like I never was on Atkins, I never was officially on a South Beach diet, but I did diet behaviors like, oh, I'm watching my sugars, I'm watching my carbs, doing those type of behaviors long term off and on for years and years, it slows your metabolism and it makes it what we describe as leveraged in the mod 365 community where it's just not as responsive and you're not going to get the results so all of a sudden this is where you find yourself and some people call it weight loss resistance in the industry as well where you find yourself like no matter how little you eat you just can't lose weight and you're like what the hell is that what's wrong with this so we start with the maintenance mode stuff first because if you don't know how to do that if you don't have a healthy relationship with food if you don't heal your metabolism and give your body a real break from eating and all these diet practices, it doesn't matter what we do for weight loss. The weight is always going to come back in a little bit more. So we always start there with the mad nutrition model to get people to really master mindfulness and reconnect with their bodies because our diet takes us out of the body. The diet says, follow these rules, right? Like eat every two to three hours don't eat after seven with no regard for are you having hunger cues do you have the energy that you need if you're eating every two to three hours or whatever so like we need to pay attention to those things are you having cravings sooner right so we get you reconnected with your body with mindfulness get you practiced and mastered at moderation so that your metabolism heals and this way when we do start playing around with your macros and doing layering in some of the diet rules that will work for you to lose weight, you you know that's weight you're going to keep off because you already know how to do the maintenance part. 
I love it too because people forget that metabolism is adaptive. Like it will respond to what you give it. You just have to be patient enough to be like, okay, where are you? And what do we have to do to get you back to a baseline? You know, that's one of the things I focus on too in my coaching. It's very similar. And like we focus on coaching people to become more aware of those hunger cues you talked about. Mm. And like, is it hunger or are you bored? Or are you feeling emotional or stressed? Or like, did you not get enough sleep last night? All of those play a role into why you're eating. Yeah, and that's a big thing. Another thing I talk with my clients about too is like, are you menstruating? What are the mental demands on your workday? I work with a lot of nurses and people in first responder fields. I have some detectives that I work with. And those are jobs that require a lot of brain power they might not sometimes some nurses have physical labor if you work in like um, elder care and things like that but a lot more of it is just a lot of brain power and you're solving problems and it kind of puts you in a hyper stress state even though they love what they do and what we don't pay attention to is that if we're in those states of mind you need a lot more energy which means you might need more carbs than the average person who has a desk job that they can just do kind of mindlessly and this is not to no shade to your desk job if you are fortunate enough to have the kind of job that's easy going i am like so proud of you because this high stress shit is not healthy either by the way (laughs) but it's just the way of our world if you live in the states oh my god so no shade if you have a desk job but if you have that job that you can kind of do more passively or it's a little bit less stress you don't need as much carbs because your brain uses so much of what you eat it's using like 70 percent of what you're eating is going to fuel the brain which makes sense because it's not just powering your thinking but everything else that's happening on automated like your heartbeat your lungs and all that stuff so they need a little bit more and they come to and like, well, we know carbs are bad. And I'm like, if you eat them out of context, yes, they are. But if you need them and you have them in the right context, they are your best friend and your superpower. So you don't have brain farts in the middle of your day. So you don't have fog where you're like, I can't even focus. I'm just numbed out. I am at mental fatigue and I can't even think about what to eat for dinner. I don't even want to think about chewing at dinner. I just don't want to do it. (laughs) Oh my God. I can relate to that so much because when I was working in food service, the amount of stress, Mm. like I was a line cook, I was in the kitchen, you know, and I worked in a five star restaurant and it was just the amount of stress at dinner service that I would go through. I don't even know how I survived and I know that I wasn't eating enough because I never got breaks so I never had a full meal so if I didn't have breakfast in the morning Mm. I wasn't gonna eat until I got home at night like what how do you even do that but wow that is insane I didn't know you worked as a line cook Morgan that's awesome I mean not awesome because of the stress but it sounds like a fun (laughs) experience it was totally a wonderful experience I spent 13 years in the food service industry and I loved it but I'm so glad I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> wow, that's so insane. And that's you bring up a good point is that sometimes we are if we're so disconnected from our bodies and because our body is so adaptive, we can be functional on low nutrients and start to feel we start to normalize that like well I don't feel hungry I don't feel tired and we don't recognize this is why mindfulness is so powerful and so important because so many of us are used to skipping a breakfast and running out the door having one meal a day because that's what our on-the-go society allows for just based on the demands on your life and so if you don't know what it feels like 
and you haven't connected to what it feels like on the other side to be well-nourished, right? Because you could be well-fed, but still undernourished. Yeah. But you can also be well-nourished and well-fed. And when you start experiencing that, that's when people start to have these things click in their mind, like, oh, I have so much more energy. I need less coffee. I'm less irritable. I'm sleeping better. And there's all these side effects that are not sexy to market. I'm happier. Yeah, that. (laughs) I'm more joyful. (laughs) I'm nicer to people. These side effects that we don't market, right? That they're because they're not sexy, right? I can't tell you like, hey, if you follow this nutrition protocol, you're going to sleep better. Nobody cares about that because when we're first coming into it, including myself, included we're looking for i'm just here to lose some weight or i need to look up for this vacation and we're not aware yet of all these additional amazing side effects that come with getting our nutrition in balance and that's a daily practice it's not a one and done thing yeah it's like the same way that you know people who like for example my mother she has certain chronic pain issues and she has normalized that she lives in that state of being in pain In the same way that, like, we don't know what it feels like to be fully nourished, to be, to eat healthy, to eat all of the food that we actually need to function well. Most of us are just living below the baseline. Yeah. We're like, am I starving? Am I hungry? That's it. And we don't even get to the before you're hungry, right? Like, just man, I'm starving. Did I eat? I forgot. I used to be the forgot to eat person. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) So I would just be like, so in the zone at my desk and I'd look up and it's like, oh, shoot, it's 4 p.m. and I didn't eat lunch. How did I forget? forgot that. (laughs) The worst. I call it the one more thing syndrome because I was like, oh, just one more email. And that turns into another one and another one. And then before you know it, like the lunch period is gone. Three hours later. And that used to give me the worst, worst, worst sweet tooth because I used to have these really bad cravings. Like, and when I say the worst, I mean, like, I was the kind of person who would walk. um, This is back when I was living in Brooklyn, New York. And so if you know, the winters in Brooklyn is very, very cold. And I would walk in like 20 degree weather, two or three blocks to this McDonald's in the snow at midnight to go pick up, uh, I used to get the two cheeseburger meal. This is my exact meal. They knew me by like my order because it was ridiculous. Like clockwork. <laughs> I used to go in there and get the two cheeseburger meal with a medium fry and a sundae. Or if the um, or if the Blizzard machine was working out, or the McFlurry machine. I don't want to get copyright infringement. If the McFlurry machine was working, I'd get an Oreo McFlurry and I would eat that. And that was like my thing every Tuesday night at midnight. I was in there come snow, sleet or shine like the mailman to get this ridiculous food because I was so like my cravings would be so high because I was so malnourished. So I might have had breakfast that day and then nothing else until this midnight meal just from like being like, oh, I got to get this done for work and I got to get this done for the next person and not prioritizing myself and not even having you do that so long, you stop having hunger cues. So my body got to a point where it was like, well, we're just not going to give these cues because nobody's listening, right? Like you would do that in a conversation. If someone wasn't listening to you, like I'm wasting my breath, stop talking. Your body does the same thing. For sure. Yeah. I, well, I also, I worked in a bakery, so I know exactly that. Like I was undernourished, not eating enough, overworked, and I had all these free sweets available to me. You were in heaven. (laughs) It was great for a while. Right. That's Awesome, except it's not when you're trying to get healthy. (laughs) Yeah. So what would you say is like one of the biggest challenges that a lot of your clients come up against? Is it like a mental challenge or is it like just, I don't know, knowledge based or like 
implementation? So once they get the knowledge, right, so there's kind of all three. I wouldn't say there's a one. The biggest thing for my challenge is that they're busy and there's time. If I had to pick one thing to say, this is the thing that is the biggest obstacle is time. But it's never just a one thing because in the construct of not having time, if you have the right tools in place, that doesn't stop you from getting your nourishment. But if you're not aware of, you know, like we don't have realization of what we don't know, then you can't ever get past that hurdle. The other thing, so once they get the base education of like, okay, this is how the nutrition will be best for you in terms of creating stable energy in your day, let's just say, then the next thing that we had the hurdle over is the implementation because of time, right? For them, they're in their mind, when we think about healthy food, I've, and I hear this a lot, even in my Instagram community where people will be like, well, I don't have time to cook. I'm not cooking either. I'm not cooking every meal that I eat. And the microwave is my best friend. I love teaching people. Oh my God, I love my microwave. Right? Like, I love walking you through like, hey, here's some packaged foods that are the more healthy options that you can choose and implement into your day without feeling like everything I eat has to come from the produce section because we live in a world that requires convenience. So you have to know how to read your nutrition labels know what you're looking for to keep things convenient where they fit into your day, but also still healthy. So you don't feel like you're choosing between the lesser of two evils because you're not going to get there. You're not going to just suddenly have more time where like your job goes, Hey, I want you to work 18 hour weeks and I'm still going to pay you your full salary. That's day is not coming. If that's what you're waiting for <laughs> to get healthy, <laughs> not happening. I'm like the queen of microwave meals. I used to hate having a microwave just because the stigma around it and all of that. But like yes. these days with the amount of little time that I have, I'm like, okay, minute rice, frozen veggies, a protein source, and some kind of healthy sauce. Five minutes. Yep. <gasps> yep. And even the protein source, I teach people all the time, like here are some great no cook proteins that need to live in your kitchen all the time. You know, smoked salmon, uh, already pre-cooked shrimp. That's a little more decadent on price wise, but it's a really good and quick option. Something as simple as canned tuna. You can get two or three cans for like a dollar or two and you've got a few different meals you can make with that. Is it sexy? No, probably not. But you can make it good. But is it going to keep you healthy and is it quick? Yeah. You can get fancy and worry about like your sexy meals on the weekends when you're not working. And that's an important conversation too. Sometimes people will be like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I want my healthy meals to look good and taste good. And I'm all for that as a foodie. I love like something that looks good and presentation and all that. But at the same time, when I think about at my least healthy, when I was living in the drive-through, the foods I was getting out of Taco Bell were not looking like something off of Food Network. <laughs> so if that was okay when I was unhealthy, then my healthy food, I'm okay with it looking like just some regular show stuff like it's fine right because you even in your unhealthy you're not looking at that but also you can make it sexy you can sprinkle a little spices on top maybe like some fresh herbs and it's sexy that's true you know it doesn't have to be like a sad salad <laughs> you know this like elaborate three-course meal it doesn't have to be a sad salad I mean, yeah <laughs> oh my gosh that's true a little a little cilantro or scallions can take you a long way a squeeze of lemon right a little basil like this made it some for some reason pop yeah with the right angle you can make it look good instagram does amazing things it's great <laughs> yeah but implementation is the biggest thing and so one of the 
things we do is I teach convenience and how to use those prepackaged foods, how to read nutrition labels. Yeah. And then I also just teach habits. I'm certified in this modality called Tiny Habits by Dr. BJ Fogg. I read his book. It's so good, right? And what he teaches, he teaches behavior science at Stanford and he has this certification in this. And so he, what he teaches though, is like literally how to hack any new behavior you want to do right? and yeah. just build it into your existing routine. And it's so incredibly simple because all you have to do is just, you just anchor to what's already a routine in your day. Yep. So a lot of my clients struggled with water in the beginning. So that's the first thing we just give them some positive wins on It's like, okay, before you make your coffee, cause they're all living on coffee cause they're too busy and too tired. It's like, okay, after I press start on my Keurig machine, I drink 10 ounces of water. It's so small and it's so simple, but that little behavior at the top of their day starts them on this path for drinking water throughout the rest of the day. And that's a big feat for someone who has a job like in nursing, where you're going from room to room to check on patients and you don't necessarily want to be mouthful of water and running back and forth to the bathroom. So if I can get you started first thing in the morning and give you these sections where you kind of intermittent throughout the day, get large sums of water in, it's a big win for them. It seems simple, but and it builds your confidence yeah exactly and water is so important people don't think about this we use it in every metabolic function so if it's low you're, you're setting up for a tougher day and so we got to get you those quick wins as you sip your water i love it you know <laughs> got to get you those quick wins like you said to build the confidence because it's hard to believe in yourself if you failed a lot too yeah i talk a lot about like discipline as a skill it's not something you wake up with. You don't just have it. Mm. It's something that you practice. You create these little wins where like, okay, I did the thing. I drank the glass of water. Now the rest of your day, you're going to be like, yeah, I did that. Oh my God, I did that thing. I'm going to keep doing that. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think people get set up in thinking the mistake that we make is thinking that it has to look perfect. Yeah. Right. Or we think that it has to be this big thing to be celebratory. Like, so what we go, whoop do you do? You drink 10 ounces of water. Do you want a cookie? It's like, yeah, I do actually, because I just did something amazing that I wasn't doing before. <laughs> I do want a pat on the back and a sticker. <laughs> you got to celebrate all the little wins because otherwise, what's the point? And because that's what makes the big wins, right? People don't get to the big, sexy, fancy, Instagram-worthy 50-pound weight loss in one week. That's happening two pounds at a time yeah. over time. And we don't talk about that enough either. Like, what does it take to lose 30, 40 pounds? It takes a year or two for most people if you're doing it sustainably, and it's happening in these tiny increments. So it, like you said, if you don't celebrate along the way, you're always going to be feeling like you're not doing enough or it's not happening fast enough. And you're setting yourself up to just quit and give up before you ever really get there. And I like to look at it from the perspective of think about little kids. You know, I remember when my daughter was first learning to walk, this kid was so thrilled just to stand up without <laughs> holding something. And she would smile and look at you and dance and cheer. And you'd be like, oh, my God. And you were thrilled as a parent, even though she wasn't walking. You were like, oh, my God, it's amazing because you knew it's the first step. Somewhere in adulthood, we lose that celebration of these little things that are actually they are the big things. They are what's making it amazing because it's the first step and there's no second or third step without it. Yep. I celebrate the fact that I took a shower today. Woo! Me too. <laughs> That's a big one in the mom world. We'd be like, did you shower today? You are a bad bitch. Go you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. 
So what is something that like, I feel like a lot of people get overwhelmed with like all of the things and having a coach is awesome, but not everybody can have a coach. So what would you say that somebody wanting to improve their health should really try and focus on on their own like journey? I would probably start with something we do in our Moderation 365 coaching and just get yourself I would say just two to three DNCs. They are your daily non-negotiable nutrition commitments. That's it. If you do those and what those things should be will be different from one person to another. They need to meet the requirements of the three E's because if they don't, then you're not going to do them. So they need to be things that are enjoyable because we don't do things that we don't like for long. So you need to enjoy and be kind of looking forward to doing them. And they need to be things that are effective, right? So I could say I'm going to every day my non-negotiable is to put on my yoga pants but that's not effectively helping me get healthier so that's that wouldn't be a good it would be easy it will be enjoyable because I love my pants but they're not helping me and effective just look cute so they need to meet all three criteria and a lot of times people know what those things are so for example one of my clients she she just naturally was like I know I need to do more in my what we call neat non-exercise activity where you're doing maybe like a little bit more walking in the day, maybe taking the stairs instead of the elevator, little things like that because she has a job that's sedentary. And so she was like, I want one of my practices, my DNCs to be getting, I think she was trying to get 10,000 steps a day. She wears like one of those little tracker, I think it's an Apple watch. She calls it closing her rings. I don't own an Apple watch, so I don't know what that means, but she knows what that means. It's a thing. I don't really know how it works, but yeah. (laughs) She knows what that means. You Apple Nation people, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So she, she would do that. And at first it was a challenge for her. And so we revisited, she just, I was like, her three were to drink water, but it wasn't just drink water. She was specifically like, I'm just gonna get 64 ounces. We didn't do anything crazy. We didn't say like drink 120 ounces or half your body weight. We just said, just do the minimum 64 to keep it easy. So she was doing that every day. Her goal was 10,000 steps to close her rings. And then her other one was to get herself, have her dinner done by 9 p.m. the latest. And the reason we picked that time was just based on her schedule. She has practice with her kids. So a lot of times she's not having dinner until nine. What she told me, I convinced her to do nine (laughs) because she wanted to do, I don't want to eat after seven. And I was like, and I literally said to her, why? Does it feel, do you feel like sick in your stomach or have a hard time sleeping when you eat after seven? And she says to me on the phone call, she says, no, I just uh, heard that that's not healthy for you. So she was trying to follow this rule with nothing in her body saying that it wasn't good for her, right? Our body will tell you if something's not good for you because you will feel sick, you will have trouble sleeping. It will impact these other feedback cues, biofeedback cues. And that's why I was like, Let's say until nine, because it's not realistic if your son has ball practice four days a week and you don't get home until 8 p.m., you're not going to eat before seven because you go straight from work to pick up the kids and straight to practice. It's not happening. So let's say nine. Yeah. And so we did those for a week. This is just to give you an example of what a DNC, a set of DNCs could look like. We did those for a week and she had a couple, a little bit of challenge with the steps and a little bit of challenge with the meals because she mentally was like, I feel like I still shouldn't be eating (laughs) after nine. And so I was like, okay, this is not fitting into those three E's. And we just made an adjustment. We adjusted her steps down. It was like, 
what were you averaging last week? And she was like, oh, I was getting about 9,000. I said, then that's your DNC because that's what you can easily do. It's still effective. It's not that big of a down uh, grade and it's still effective. And we also changed her eating thing. What we started working on was the belief. I said, I want you to just commit that no matter what you're gonna eat between eight and nine and just practice it. And let's see what the data says. So we were taking her weight every day. When she started seeing that eating after 8 p.m. or eating after 7 was not making the scale go up and she was actually still losing weight, she went the scale went down for her. Then she started connecting the dots and being like, oh, this is totally fine. And I was arbitrarily following a rule without thinking about how does this work for my body? Yep. So when you're thinking of your DNCs, you, you want to pick what's easy, what's effective, what's enjoyable. But if you also want to look at and pay attention to your biofeedback, does this make me feel most energized? Am I having a bunch of cravings? And if you want to get something that's a little more solid, get your butt on the scale every day, not at the end of the week, because you can cheat the system every day so you can see how your choices impact the scale daily and that will tell you where you need to adjust or if you pick the right things yep. if it's too hard if you're inconsistent then you gotta pick something new yeah i was doing a program for like six months and i was weighing myself every day and it was really interesting watching mm -hmm. just i fluctuate like five to six pounds daily based on what i eat because i'm vegan and i'm eating so much fiber and then yeah I go to the bathroom and you know, <laughs> and it was just interesting watching it. Like I was still in the average of what I was shooting for, but I could fluctuate five to six pounds depending on what I was eating. Yeah. But like, I was still able to track the progress of what I was working towards. So that was kind of interesting. And I feel like a lot of people get hung up on that number. It's just data. Like, as you said, get clinical, get like, you know, look at what the numbers are telling you. What are you actually doing? It's not about you as a person or your value or your worth. It's just data. Yeah, that weighing in every day in the beginning, I'll tell you as someone who, again, used to have a lot of body image issues, it is hard in the beginning. But what starts to happen is just like what you're talking about, Morgan, where you're like, you start to realize your weight fluctuates every day. So that half a pound weight gain stops freaking you out. <laughs> and you start to realize that, some of the beliefs we have, like where we'll say like, I'm a big like Oreo eater. I love Ben and Jerry's. Cookie dough is my favorite. If you don't like it, I don't know if we can be friends. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but like these things, I used to say, oh, these make me fat. I can't have them if I'm working on a body composition goal. And when I was weighing myself regularly and including these things regularly, what I started to see was like, wow, I, can, I ate like three or four Oreos last night and I didn't gain any weight. This did not make me fat. And we know that academically, that it doesn't just automatically make you gain five pounds, but to see it physically on the scale really helps your logical mind stop playing with you and stop telling you all those lies about how this food is bad. And you start to let go of, like you said, the meaning of the scale starts to shift and it's like, oh, this is cool. This is just where I'm at. It creates a lot more self-acceptance in the body. Yeah, sure. What are some other rules that you think that people are holding on to that society has been like, no, you have to do it this way or you're going to get fat? I always laugh. I think about the low carb rules and I laugh because there's an Instagram meme that I found that shows a picture, if you're familiar with the Moana movie from Disney, and it shows a picture of the superhero Maui and he's a very big burly guy. And then next to it, 
it on kind of like a split image on the right side, if you can imagine this is the image of Jason Momoa's Aquaman. And what it says in the meme is what people think when it happens to you when you cut carbs. So you go from Maui's, you know, big burly physique to Aquaman's very slender tone physique. <laughs> so that always makes me laugh because people think carbs are what's making them fat. And it's really about knowing how to be strategic with your carbs. They can cause inflammation. They can cause blood sugar spike. But if you know how to use them, so for example, one of the practices that I teach my clients is I call it carb coupling, or you might hear on social media where people are screaming a lot about no naked carbs. It's just not eating them by themselves, right? Like if I have a carb, say like I'm having coffee and a bagel for breakfast, that's a very common American on the go breakfast. That's cool, but you're going to have a blood sugar spike. Even if that bagel was like multi-grain or the healthier choice, there's just not enough fiber and protein to buffer and slow the absorption of that carb. So you're going to see a blood sugar spike. But if we learn to pair these things like, oh, I always have my carb with a protein and I also include a veggie with it because that gives you extra fiber. Now we don't have that problem. And part of a, another thing that I did that helped me let go of these type of beliefs was I started looking at other places in the world that are considered blue zones and these places where people are super healthy and they eat very carb heavy. Like look at Italy, these mugs live on pasta and bread and butter and all the things that America says is gonna make you fat, but they're all like chilling, <laughs> slender, healthy, happy. Their uh, country is considered a blue zone, which is some of the healthiest countries in the world. And they live on pasta. Look at all the Asian cultures. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, like Japan and China, but also like in India and all these other cultures in the Caribbean, even where rice is a staple and it's white rice. Yep. Not the healthy one, but they're all also not battling the heart disease the way we are. And, and I get that our foods, there are things that are not allowed in their country that we allow in our country in the food world, which is a whole nother discussion. Yeah. <laughs> whole different podcast. But it's also a visual proof for you. Okay, this is not the problem. I know we want it to be a black and white thing but it is not black and white. This is why customization and learning custom nutrition is so important because one thing can work for one person's body and, a, and that same process causes the other person to gain weight. It's so individual. Yeah. And that's why if we start to learn our own hunger cues, our cravings, what do those things mean in the body? Paying attention when we're having brain fog, what's the quality of our sleep? All these little biofeedback cues that are telling you, it's your body telling you, this is what I need. When you understand it and you know how to interpret it and you're mindful of what you're putting in your mouth, then you can customize your nutrition from one day to the next and you don't have to buy anybody's diet plan ever again. You don't have to just say, oh, well, you shouldn't eat too much fat because it's bad for you or I'm watching my cholesterol. You can actually say, I know that media said that, but let me see how my body responds to this. Yep. One of the things that I had to do when I was working with my own coach was that I I realize I don't eat enough fat. Mm. Like, I just don't because I've been so, like, wrapped up in the world of eating clean. And I did Whole30, and so I eliminated a bunch of things at one point, and then I was vegan. And, like, when I was tracking, I was like, wow, it is really hard for me to hit those fat numbers. And I had to, like, add in more olive oil and avocado and nuts and all of these things. 
I noticed a change. I felt like I was more able to focus and my brain was working better and I didn't have fog as much. And it was just like, wow, food is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that fat free rule is a big one, especially if you grew up in the 90s where everything became fat free and your parents and it was all the cholesterol scare and heart attacks are becoming more prevalent. Like that is a really big one. And it's hard for my clients to like, oh, they're like, I had the fat free mayo. And I'm like, no, get the full fat one, please. Your body needs that. A lot of people don't realize there are a number of vitamins for the body that cannot be absorbed unless you have enough fat in your diet. So if it's not there, (laughs) then you can eat all the veggies you want. Your body's not absorbing any of, well, a large number, not any of them, but a large number of these vitamins are not getting absorbed. So then it's like, you don't get the benefit. So we cannot be afraid of fat. And a lot of the no fat, low fat things are actually less healthy for you because they, in order to make them taste good, they're loaded with sugars and additives and air quote natural flavors which are not natural (laughs) so they're actually worse for you than just getting the real thing (laughs) oh and the natural flavor label literally could be anything i hate those it drives me crazy as a vegan i'm like sometimes i know because i know the company and i know what they're making that natural flavor means that there's an animal product in there but because it's such a small quantity you don't have to label it. it drives me crazy but Side tangent. (laughs) Yeah, nutrition labels are the hardest, most confusing thing. I always teach my clients to don't pay attention to the front because the front is designed to make you buy it and make you think they'll use a lot of buzzwords. So what's something that comes to mind just right now in my head is um, veggie straws. A lot of people, parents will give that to their kids as a quote, air quote, healthy alternative. And they think it's well-intended, like it's not your fault because it says on there, first of all, they use the word veggies. And then sometimes on the front, I think I see the label of like uh, non-GMO and it'll say like nutritious or something ridiculous on the front that makes you, your brain goes, oh, this is a good choice. But if you read the back, there's barely any fiber. I think it's less than one gram of fiber. It's high in carbohydrates. It doesn't have any protein. So there's no, there's literally no nutrient value. If you read the ingredients, they are not healthy ingredients at all. There's a couple of known carcinogens in there and the ingredients, which is legal to sell in the United States. And you might as well just give your kid the chips. Just give them the regular chips because they're actually nutritionally the same thing. If you compare the back of that label to the back of label of Lay's, it's the same nutrient quality and the same makeup. Cheerios is actually healthier than veggie straws, believe it or not. Cheerios has four grams of fiber, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. Which I'm like, really? Cheerios? (laughs) Because I wouldn't think of that as healthy, right? But that's actually a better choice as a snack than veggie straws, which is crazy because your mind goes, that's not healthy. But (laughs) compared to this option, it is. So one of the things I love like teaching my clients is like, okay, let me show you what you're looking for on this nutrition label. Don't ever read the front, y'all, because it's there to sell you. Read the back. It's three C's, super simple, right? Like what's the carb to fiber ratio? What is the count of sugars? Added sugars means it's it's not natural sugar. It's like man-made sugar. And your body knows the difference too. If you eat a man-made sugar, you'll find your cravings increase more because your body didn't get real sugar. So it knows real sugar from not. If you Versus if you have real sugar, let's say from a dark chocolate, that's like 70% cacao or more, you'll be more satiated. You'll eat less because your body got real sugar. 
So that's something that just little known fact and your body's so smart and it's like, no, that's not what I asked for. And so it just kicks the more craving signals for you. Um, so pay attention to that count. And then the count of ingredients. You don't have to know what every ingredient is, but if we can get things that are like seven ingredients or less, that means it's less processed, which means it's healthier for you. Yeah. That's not always gonna be a win. Sometimes you're just not gonna find that like in a bar that's not very a natural occurring thing in nature. So any kind of bar is probably gonna have upwards of 10 ingredients in it because that's not a natural thing in nature. But if we can hit those other two C's, right? We've got a good fiber to carb ratio. And what I'm saying with that is like having one gram of fiber for every 10 grams of carb because that's gonna help you keep your blood sugar stable, which means you stay in fat burning mode and you don't have this spike where you're gonna have cravings later. So if you got those two and lower sugar, you know, like a five grams, four grams, might be shooting for the stars, <laughs> six grams, somewhere in there is a good, like, okay, this is a good, better choice out of the three, you know? So I actually put a nutrition label cheat sheet together for my clients to be like, you're not going to memorize all of this. I know this because I live and breathe it on a regular basis, yep. but here is a little cheat sheet for them that they can keep it themselves, like a three page PDF that goes through it. And then they get a wallpaper for their phone so that if they got to hit the vending machine because they were rushing out the door so fast they left lunch, they know what they're looking for. You don't have to be inconvenienced, but you could be like, okay, I know what I'm looking for. Some choices are more obvious than others, but sometimes when you're choosing between, I don't know, Cheetos and Hippies cheese puffs, now we have something to look at and we can say, oh, the Hippies is going to be a better choice. I love that. It's a lot of like realizing that it's not just about eating healthy all the time. It's about, okay, how can I use tools and strategies like the nutrition label cheat sheet and then adapt it into your life and you're not going to have to look at it for the rest of your life because the more you use it the more you'll be aware of what you're reading and it'll just start sticking in your head like you don't have to memorize it but the more you utilize it the easier it gets and then eventually you're just like oh I can go and read this and I know what I'm looking at yeah and, and that's it and then you have your staples too so then you'll just walk in the store and these are just the things that I buy yeah Right. And if you choose to indulge, like I know Oreos is not healthy, but I love them very much. So I choose them instead of being like, I'm resisting this temptation and caving. Are you single stuff or double stuff? I like the single stuff. The double stuff for me is too sweet. My best friend loves the double stuff. It's too much. Yeah. Okay. I think it's too sweet. Somebody is going to listen to this and be like, sacrilege. <laughs> no no it's just too much it's too much frosting but I do they're too sweet for me I get it yeah yeah no so yeah my um and and so if I choose it's like a choice I mean there was a time in my life and if this is where you are I I understand there was a time in my life where I couldn't eat just a serving size of Oreos which is two I had to eat the entire sleeve it was like a real thing but I was in that deprivation or restrictive and then binge cycle I was in that cycle and I didn't know how to get out now because I have these tools of mindfulness because I'm better nourished just from having the knowledge I can keep Oreos in the house and I can eat just a serving just two you know and do a little intermittent sampling and then put them back 
and they'll be in the house for months at a time. Whereas in the past, when I first started this journey of like, I'm just not going to diet and I'm going to learn how to be normal around food and eat healthy, like as a lifestyle, Oreos could come in the house and they will be gone in three days. Not because I shared them with someone else, but because I ate them one row at a time out of the package in a single sitting. And that was after eating an entire medium Domino's pie also by myself for dinner. (laughs) And then wash it down with a sleeve of Oreos. Like what? So if you're in that space where you're like, this sounds absurd to be reading labels or it sounds light years away from where you are, I can tell you I didn't get here overnight. It took me, it took me two years of practicing and kind of stumbling around. I help my clients get there in a much shorter time, takes them about six to nine months when you have the tools. But also like, even if you're trying to figure it out on your own, like you said, Morgan, not everybody's going to get coaching. If you pay attention to, you know, your anchor behaviors, what are the things that we talked about earlier, those DNCs that are going to make you feel your most energized, the more awareness you bring to what you're eating, you'll just slowly stop overdoing it when it comes to sweets, because what's happening is you kind of crowd out by being so healthy, your body will just stop craving the other things. And it doesn't mean you never have them, but you'll be able to have that serving size and you'll be able to say, oh, that serving size was enough and I feel satisfied, right? It's all about satisfaction every step of the way, even if it looks different than what the gurus say, right? I used to eat, the only way I got vegetables in the beginning was through smoothies. And I would make my smoothies with apple juice and I would put like a little bit, like a pinch of spinach. And then I would put a whole banana and a mound of strawberry and eight ounces of apple juice. Somebody looking at that who's in the fitness community and nutrition community right now would tell you that's not healthy there's too much sugar but if that's the baby step it started i don't care if it doesn't look like sally's green goddess smoothie that's going to taste gross to you in the beginning if you're making mcdonald's ultra sweet every day that's not a right a jump that you're going to make so you have to give yourself permission to take those baby steps you look ridiculous like i had a client who came to me who was like a heavy soda drinker i didn't say cut out soda we said okay Let's just make it where we have one can with lunch and dinner. Somebody else would say, that's not, I'm not trying hard enough. That's not what I paid you for, but that's what she was able to stick with. That was what was easy and effective. And that was still better than drinking a 12 pack within two days. You have to be willing to take these really tiny steps that look, they look like you're not trying, but I promise you it makes a big difference because that's the only way you're going to stick with it. It's realistic. No, I love it. I love everything you've been saying. It's great. It's tough because when you're coming from like living on fast food, a judgment when you start getting healthy and a lot of pressure to just go like go hard. I always tell my clients, go small or not at all. That's like our saying, like go small or not at all. Because I didn't get from king size M&Ms and Mountain Dew breakfast to spinach salad, which is what I normally eat now overnight. I didn't even get there in one year. You know, I went from that to like, well, I'll just have super sweet oatmeal because it was a big sugar rush in the morning, but people say oatmeal's healthy. So that's like where I started. So just be small and continue to grow and evolve. This is an ongoing lifetime process, the rest of your life, and your body is responding to the input that you give it. So that means you're constantly changing. When we talk about maintaining their weight loss, it's not that the number on the scale stays at 130 or 170 every single day is that there's somewhere between 170 and 175 you know when we get into like okay i've gained 10 pounds then we know somewhere we we lost balance right but maintenance is a five to seven pound fluctuation and that's normal for our bodies to do that's a good and positive sign so we don't mean that it's the same every day you eat different every day your sleep is different every day your stress is different it means your weight has to change every day 
A lot of people talk about starting during the holidays and they feel like they don't want to do it now because there's so many events mm. and there's so many like family gatherings where they're going to be around tempting food and it's just too stressful. What would you say to those people? First, I will say I totally understand that. I historically used to take the holidays off and be like, holidays my off season every year for like my first six years of my health journey because I just felt like I couldn't do it, you know? And I felt like why fool myself? I, I know that I want to enjoy all the things. So I definitely understand it. But I would also say if you are in the space of wanting to make a lifestyle change, holidays is a wonderful starting ground to get a lot of practice in. And you might not be successful, but it gives you, and when I mean successful, I mean successful in the regard of like, you might not eat super clean, right? And if that's how you define healthy is like only eating salads, only one cheat meal a week, staying away from junk food, if that's how you're defining it, and you might not be successful, but if you're choosing to open your mind to this is going to be my lifestyle and I just want to be normal around food and I want to be healthy, but I also want to, uh, I think a lot of people say like everything in balance, the holiday is a perfect stomping ground to start developing your baseline of what that looks like. Because you're short on time, you're around tempting foods and events. It's a perfect chance to experience and get a feel for how you naturally respond in those environments. Um, mistake I see people make, and maybe you've been in this space too, or you've seen this with your clients too, Morgan, is where they'll wait. They'll wait until things calm down and everything's like more normal in my schedule. And they, so they maybe wait till the middle of January when the kids go back to school where they're doing the meal plan every week and they're eating super clean and they're working out six days a week. Uh, because now they have the time to do it, but then their schedule pick back up, whether that's in February or spring break, and these healthy behaviors go to the wayside because they were too big to maintain. Whereas if you had started in the holiday season where you were pressed for time, you would know what are the habits that I can maintain no matter what. Clients who start with me, and that's why I love like signing new clients in December, because people who start with me in those months when it's really challenging, the habits they create, they can maintain no matter what. And what happens is that that holiday season when it's hectic, that becomes their baseline and they get more time. They accelerate because they just add on more. But when demands come back on their schedule, they go back to this baseline that they created during the holiday season, the holidays, best time to start because it gives you something you know you can sustain no matter what life throws at you. And I had a client who started in November last year and we just came up with her baseline, what she was doing. She worked with me all the way through June of this year and she had this crazy time where she started a new job, went to the office, and then she had a nanny, went to grad school and all this crazy stuff was putting demands on her schedule. But throughout all that time, she was still losing weight and she never lost sight of her healthy habits because we started building her healthy habits in a time that was hectic to begin with in November, right after um, Thanksgiving. And so she was like, I started that. I'm glad you said that because if I didn't, I don't think I stick with it like I'm wasting my money right now because I would feel like I'm drowning. I'm so glad we went through that during the holidays. Yeah. I like to tell people that there's really no time where life stops. Mm. Like you will always have something that comes up. You will always have things on your schedule and like you will always feel like you're busy and you don't have time. So if you start learning the habits during the most stressful time of year, you're going to be better off. That's so true. And you know what it's like? A good metaphor, Morgan, is if you think about it like learning how to drive. If you ever drive a car in a parking lot, then that's the only skills you have. The minute I take you on the highway where people are flying by and you got to merge, and you are going to be in somebody's accident or you're going to be really struggling and super nervous and, and not know how to maneuver because you never practice it in a hectic, high-stress environment. 
So you can practice driving your car and only do your healthy habits in the parking lot, AKA the slow seasons of your life, but you should be prepared to feel like you're sucking at it when life picks up. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's such a good reference. Awesome. Well, I have loved everything that we talked about today. Did you have any like last final tangible takeaways you want to offer my audience? I hope that everyone found this information like really helpful and hopefully also entertaining. I really appreciate your time and thank you. I would say again, like now is the best time to start. It's busy because of like holiday season. The other thing I would say is start practicing reading those nutrition labels because you're going, if you have a busy life, you have to incorporate that. So I would definitely say like reading the nutrition label cheat sheet. And so I can put, I can give you the link. I don't know if I included it or sent it to you earlier, but I can give you the link if you want to put it in the show notes for them. I'll put it. Awesome. They can download that for free so that you have it right on your phone and just get in the practice. In fact, in that uh, sheet for your audience, the last page of that a list of, I call them stoplight foods, where you can choose everything from breakfast to lunch and then the red light or things we should like probably eat as less often as possible, but sometimes you run a red light, right? It's kind of after a traffic light. Yellow are things we should like exercise a little caution, slow down. And then the green things are the healthiest of those processed foods. So it includes like chips, wine choices, um, ice cream and lunch and dinner items too, because the world is not about to slow down. Like you said, Morgan, you said it best. You're, you're never gonna have where just everything stops unless you get severely ill, which I don't wish on anyone. So you've got to figure out how to incorporate these things and just leverage convenience healthy is doing some of these convenience foods, whether you see them grabbing protein bars or having talenti ice cream. So it's your opportunity to learn that, like, what can I add instead of thinking about what you have to take away? What can I add and how can I level this up? If you get curious about with questions like that and, and really good ones, not why is this happening? Why can't I lose weight? That's not a helpful question. But if you ask yourself, how can I get better at this? What's the healthier choice? Those things will lead you to success and your success is inevitable as long as you stay curious and stop judging yourself. Yep. Awesome. So I like to ask all of my podcast guests, what are the top three things that you're doing right now to feed your health? Yeah, I would say for me, I get eight hours of sleep every night. I protect my sleep like a freaking warrior, American Ninja Warrior. And the reason is because it's really the best thing you can do for your health because it impacts how well we recover. Your fat loss is actually happening in your sleep, not during your workouts and impacts what happens with your hunger hormones the next day. So get yourself some good sleep. Even if you can't do eight hours, just improve your sleep. So I protect my sleep. The second thing is I get some kind of movement in, even if it's just walking every day for at least 15 minutes. I don't do ridiculous workouts. I have 15 minutes. Some days if I get 30 minutes or 45, but a lot of days, 15 is all I got. And that for me is just about connecting with my body. It helps me start that sense of awareness. So and if it's just a walk, it's like, oh, here we are. We're, we're in this together, right? I want my body to work with me, not against me. And then the other thing I really do is I just always have the Fab Four on a plate. And this is from Be Well by Kelly. She has a book, I think it's called Body Love. It's the Fab Four on a plate. So you just make sure every plate that I eat has a protein, a carb, a veggie, and a healthy fat. If I have those four things on a plate, I don't care about the portions. I don't measure them. If I know they're on a plate, good enough. I know energetically I'm going to have stable energy all day. Love 
love it. So those are my three. Awesome. So where can people find you and what services do you offer? So I am mostly active on Instagram at Sabrina Gilbert. Probably the easiest ways to find and communicate with me. I'm always answering questions in the DMs or doing Q and A's. In terms of services, I offer one-on-one nutrition coaching. And again, it, we start always with Mod 365. And then once you finish that process, we talk about what might be next best steps, sustainable weight loss goals. But I always want to lay down the foundation for a healthy metabolism and sustainable weight loss. We need that first. So we do that. And then I also do group coaching for people who just prefer more community feel. It's still Mod 365, but just you get this additional community. It gives you a nice opportunity where it's more affordable than one-on-one. But then you also have this bonus of like, other people are on this walk with you, kind of building that community. And I find a lot of my moms really like that because you can feel isolated on a health journey because you're the only healthy person in the house. So it's nice to have like other people in your corner who understand instead of like trying to explain it to your family. Like, why can't you just eat what you want? And you're like, I am eating what I want. I just happen to want these veggies. <laughs> so those are the services. Awesome. Well, I will link all of that in the show notes. And I really appreciate you coming on today. This has been fabulous. Thank you so much. This is Later Morgan hopping in just to say thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode and putting up with the messed up audio towards the end there. I tried to fix it as best I could. Hopefully you were still able to gather some wonderful insight from Sabrina and I hope this episode provided value to you in some way. Please, if you loved it, share it with a friend, leave us a five-star review And as always, thank you so much for listening. Ciao.